Hello. 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 And welcome, welcome to, to LaughBox. LaughBox, the podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And now, here's your host, Chip Lutz. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This is Chip Lutz. Woo! I am so stoked today because I got to talk to Kathy Cloat's guest. She is the master of disaster. She is the improv queen. She is teaching companies how to innovate today, tomorrow, and in the future. And I'm so excited to talk to her today. Welcome, my friends, to the podcast. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. Like, improv queen, I feel like, you know, I got that ABBA song kind of going in my head, but it's like improv queen, and I'm still dancing, you know? That's, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So obviously, like, you know, we've talked a little bit. I, you know, uh, I know a little bit about you, but for my guests, you know, give us the 411, the hot skinny on Kathy, the, the improv queen, who she is. Who she is. So Kathy is, she is somebody who worked in tech, became a, you know, a vice president of marketing, which is a lot of blah, blah, blah. And then all the while, you know, six, seven nights a week was uh, doing comedy, uh, stand-up sketch. In fact, I did stand-up and sketch before I moved into improv and I still do stand-up and sketch and I love it. And what I found was along the way that, oh my God, why aren't these two things together? They go together. And sort of, I left corporate after 15 years because I'm a quick learner. And then I just uh, decided to uh, bring these two worlds together. I'm also a mom and all that good stuff. So that's a little bit about Kathy. Where are you from originally? I am from, I know this sounds crazy. I was born and raised in Silicon Valley, what is now Silicon Valley. And when I was growing up, um, so I was born in the seventies, like most of like, I could look out my window growing up and it was orchards. It was cherry orchards and it was apricot orchards. And this whole behemoth that we know is Silicon Valley, this like monstrous kind of like mythological creature was still in the process of becoming. It was very much agricultural. Mm. Yeah. So you, you mm -hmm. still live there? I do. I, I, after college, I went to LA and, you know, did a lot of comedy in LA and all that stuff. Cause like you do, like you do. And then came back here um, uh, for my husband's work and then found, you know, work up here. And my family, um, you know, my, my aging parents were up here. So I kind of came back up here and, uh, but you know what, I think I, my, my folks and my people and my clients are everywhere. So there you go. Well, I was just curious. Cause like, sometimes, you know, people like go someplace really different, you know, and stuff. I was like, wow, you're, you know, you're like, I can still look out my window and see <laughs> and envision the, the orchards. And that was just like really interesting to me. So that's really cool. Now, yeah. before we get into our conversation, cause yeah. I really want to talk about keeping it human, add a little humor to your leadership, mm -hmm. humor to your life. Um, I'm just going to ask you a random question it has absolutely nothing to do with our conversation. Um, actually, actually has to do with yes. something you mentioned before. So thinking about your marketing life, all right, what do you miss most mm -hmm. about marketing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing. Is that awful? <laughs> like nothing, really. nothing. 
Because it's so funny. I always felt like I had a marketing title and then pretty soon, you know, I became this like vice president of marketing and like it was, I had a big team that was global and I never felt like a marketer inside because I never felt like if, if we look at the way that most people define marketing, I never felt like that was a title that fit. I always felt like, well, great marketing is always about people and stories and connection and the things that I would never hear marketers talk about and all marketers talked about was like getting me completely jargonstipated and I was like my god like jargon be gone what is that what is that I couldn't relate to it and I always felt like even though that is um that is you know the title that I had uh, sort of a, I sort of built in my soul that you know I was sort of the anti-marketer or the you know unmarketer if you will yeah so nothing. <laughs> I like that. I like the, I like that whole unmarketer thing. That's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I like, true. yeah, so that's, that's, that's awesome. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, like uh, getting a little into your work and uh, cause I love your website, uh, keeping it human. Um, and tell me where that came Thank from. You. I mean, I just, you know, I was yeah. like, when I saw that, I was like, man, I like that. Cause so many things that we do are, inhuman yeah yeah no that was really interesting oh gosh that's for sure so when i left so i finally you know i it, i got pregnant um got knocked up uh that's that's, and then, keep, that's, keep, um, that's keeping it human right there that's keeping it real human y'all and you know i said to my husband um who you know is also you know a, a beautiful nerd in his wisdom and i said yeah i don't I don't want to go back. I really want to, you know, I'd been talking about taking these two worlds. Like I was living a parallel lives. I was mm -hmm. you know, during the day doing marketing, trying to bring humor and improv and all the years of stage work that I had into the corporate space to make it, you know, more human. And after my son was born, I said, I'm not going to go back. And what was really interesting is when I, um, my, my employer at that time became one of my first clients, my part-time mm. client after my son was born. Cause they were like, literally like two weeks after my son was born, my boss was like, Hey, congratulations. Hey, we need you in Japan. And I was like, yeah, I gave birth to a human child, not a football. So <laughs> that's not going to work for me. That's not going to work for me. And but what's interesting is that they worked with me and they became one of my clients. And I'll tell you, Chip, what was really interesting is that um, one of my bosses, my ex-bosses at that company said, you are the most human and funny marketer I've ever met. You're just real. Like you're, you are the anti-marketer and you are a human marketer. And that's kind of how keeping a human came about is that I can't take credit for it. It was people who worked with me who said, this is who you are. This is how I see you. So that's kind of how that stuck. Uh, that's really interesting because sometimes we don't really see ourselves as other people see us or perceive us. You know, we yeah. like, you know, that's how I came up with my website, Unconventional Leader, because I went back to the people I used to work with. Right. I'm like, hey, what was different about working with me? I mean, what did you like? And like, oh, you were so different. You were so unconventional. And I was like, really? Because I really, <laughs> I really never saw myself like that. So it's kind of cool that you right. know, somebody, somebody else helped you realize what was you, because sometimes that's, um, we don't always see us as other people see us. I think that's a great insight that sometimes right. we can uh, yes. keep in touch with with people. Um, so yeah. I'm really I'm really interested in like your comedy work because I think that is mm -hmm. such a cool aspect to um, that. Like 
I've never done, you know, um, uh, stand up, you know, obviously done some improv and some other stuff, but like, you know, and speak in front of groups I'm good with. However, that is a completely different dynamic right there because you're going into something where people are expecting to be entertained. Like as a speaker, you're going in like, yeah, you got some content. I'll make them a laugh a couple of times, blah, 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 you know, but there, I mean, that's like cutthroat. Tell me about that. How did you start that? I mean, what's it been like? <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like the kiss of death of like, hey, everybody, there's a funny speaker. And you're like, oh, no. The oh, that's the, that is the worst right? intro ever. That's the worst. Because then people are like, oh, this guy's hilarious. You're going to love him. You know, and then they are, or she, you know, and then you walk on and they're just like, he's not funny. Their expectations. Exactly. Are so high. I would rather, I would rather them say this guy sucks ass. I would, that's what I would rather them say. That way I come in, their expectation is low and I come in high. You know what I mean? Right. That's right. You know, it's so true. It's like, tell your kids you're shopping at the dollar store. So anything above that is like golden, like set those expectations low, everybody. No, it's so true. It's funny because um, you're so right. You know, as a speaker, like, yeah, it is about being funny. I think the thing that I had to really reconcile was while I am a, you know, a, a business person and I had run teams and all that stuff. Yeah. I done stand up. I'd gone through second city sketch. I had been at, with comedy sports for eight and a half years as a performer. I had to embrace all those things. And I mm -hmm. had to be willing to say, all right, look, you know, it's, it's all these things. It's about, um, entertainment, but it's more about education. And mm -hmm. if you can just embrace all these things and show them what it's like to just walk that fine line of it doesn't have to be funny but it can be playful right. and model what risk-taking looks like and i started to realize that you know we put such a premium on being funny now when i am performing uh improv or i'm doing stand-up yeah i'm expected to get laughs per minute lpms yeah. we, we judge it in lpms and we're, we're looking for the highest yield of laughter and that's that's a fact mm -hmm. and yet what i realize is that if we get hung up on funny as an output in our everyday lives, what we're missing is the opportunity to be imperfect and playful. And right. it starts with feeling to just try. And that was such a big revelation to me because it took a lot of the pressure off because then it became less about, hey, here's Gabby, she's funny. Dance monkey. And, and it became much more like, all right, you know what, I want to model like yeah, because that's hard, man. I mean, I that's, can't compete with the monkey. Monkeys oh are Oh, my cheap. gosh. That's monkeys hilarious. Are cheap. It's, it's so funny because it's true. Because it's like, all right, you know, entertain, dance, monkey, dance. Oh, my gosh. That is so hilarious. Oh, it's the worst. Ooh. It's like the worst. Like, for the longest time, oh, no, it's awful. So when I, like, when I was living in L.A., people would come over to me and go, hey, yeah, this is my friend Kathy. She does improv and she does stand-up. She's been at the comedy store. She just, she does a bunch of sketch classes at Second City. And then people go, hey, say something funny. And you'd be like, hey, Bob, you're an accountant. Give me a tax deduction. All right, right now, right now. Give me a tax deduction, right? It was exactly, <laughs> it's like that on-command thing. And I realized the only way to embrace that would be to embrace the failure and the trying that came with it. So I started to reframe it. And I think this is such an important thing for leaders or any speakers or anybody is to look at humor as not just like the being funny and the nailed it, but as the trying and the embracing the imperfection and the playfulness. Cause you don't, there's plenty of times my jokes haven't worked. Now, a lot of my jokes have worked, 
And I, I, the reason you, you're laughing in a talk is because Kathy's done it a hundred times and she knows that joke works. Right. But once upon a time, if you looked at Kathy's garbage, you'd see like 90% of the jokes that I wrote in that garbage. Right. <laughs> to Absolutely. get to that, you know, whatever, five, 10%. Yeah. yeah. Well, so and cut yourself some slack. I, I like that. Well, I, I like the yeah. slack piece right there. Cause sometimes we are just so serious about everything, Ugh. you know, like uh, I can't yes. do this. And I, I loved it when I was going through your website and I was looking at one of the um, titles of your talks on experimentation. Cause I think that sometimes uh, it just, it, not only just in humor, but just in life, sometimes as leaders, uh, we're just, we're, we're afraid to step outside our comfort zone and just do something different. I mean, it's like, we don't, you know, that's the key to innovating right there is that, I mean, you don't know if stuff's going to work. Sometimes you just have to step out into the unknown. So, I mean, uh, if we can segue a little bit and talk about some of the work that you do in that world, because I think it's really interesting to me, like that world of adaptive leadership. Yeah, no. And I love that we're talking about that because I mean, this pandemic, if you had a plan for 2020, guess what? Flush, flush, flush. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the universe is laughing at you. And, and I think we all had to like, you know, recognize that there was no playbook for this pandemic for our yeah. lives. 2020 has been an aberration and we've all had to adapt. We've been forced to go, all right, the rule book, there you go. And I think adaptive leadership is just that. The thing about comedy that has always attracted me, and I, again, in every form, I mean, I've done sketch and I love it. I, I do stand up. I still, you know, do stand up um, and improv. And what I love about every single one of these, these comedy forms is that it's experimental. Mm -hmm. And you have to be willing to walk that line and try. And what people always see is they look at the finished product and they go, wow, I could never do that. Cut to, here's what I want people to look at. Cut to the comic or the improv comedian trying a bunch of stuff and failing, right. finally learning what works. And you see the finished product, not how a sausage is made. <laughs> and what I really because it's ugly. Sometimes it is not pretty. Yeah. And I, I want people to really understand true leadership is going, you know what? It's experimenting and we got to make it safe. Yeah. And okay. And we have to normalize taking risks and failing a certain degree of failure is expected. And if we could all have each other's backs, like we say, Hey, I got your back in improv. What could we do if we could do that on an improv stage? what the hell could we do in companies and in teams if we truly showed up for each other and, and, and looked at each other and said, Hey, this might not work, but I'm willing to walk down that, that, you know, right. that line with you and see where this goes and not judge you. And if we could do that, my God, how transformational would that be? That's what I loved about uh, my time at Second City. Just uh, thinking about the concepts yeah. is that, you know, my, my sole purpose there you know, on that stage with my teammates was to support them, support them and, you know, move, move everything along um, because that's it's so missing from, uh, I just don't want to say work. I mean, so many aspects of our lives, period, but just, I mean, that's, that's, it. I, you know, you really have to listen and you really have to look, all right, how can I, how can I build this? Um, so tell me a little bit about how you work with companies in doing that. Yeah, so it's really interesting. It works a lot of different ways. Um, I've worked with, because I came out of, of marketing, 
and I ran marketing and storytelling and creative. That was when I first started my business. That's where I started. And I, you know, worked with all kinds of teams and it always comes down to this, regardless of whether it's marketing or HR chip, or if it's strategy and sales. And you, you know, this, I know because of your leadership background, all humans struggle with, is it safe to fail? Is it safe? Yeah. Be okay. And I don't care what your title is. I don't care what department you roll into in the corporate world. Everybody wants to know, is it okay? Will I be okay? Uh And so a lot of working with with teams and and clients looks the same, regardless of where in the organization that that title may be or that Mm -hmm. team may sit. And it comes down to how do we create the conditions where people feel safe to experiment, they feel seen, they know what creative latitude looks like. So if you just could say to your team, hey, you know, Bob, hey, Nancy, go create, go innovate today. Go. Like they're not going to be all sure I'll put all that. What the hell does that mean? It's like, it's like, it's like, Chip, it's like, what the hell does that even mean? Like, is that as nebulous as AF? That's nebulous AF, right? What does that mean? It's so funny because like, that's know, what happens all the time. Oh. Yes, right? And it's so stupid. You're like, you're like, okay, I'll get right on that. And then you turn to your friends, you're like, what the actual F does that mean? Because we never define it. Yeah. We never talk about what's acceptable failure, what's acceptable risk. And what was really interesting is a lot of times the work with teams is really looking at the honest conversation between what leaders think and leaders disproportionately chip will say, hey, we're innovative. We make our people feel comfortable. And then you talk to the team and the team's like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and there's, there's that honesty gap of, the way that they perceive what's safe. Right. Well, it's kind of and like go, we were going back to a little bit earlier as far as like we never see ourselves or people see us. I mean, I remember like as a, a new supervisor, um, I was talking to one of my people. I was like, oh, I'm pretty easygoing. And he was like, uh, you're nothing but easygoing. I'm like, what? I, you know, I, I didn't see myself <laughs> like that. He, uh, he saw me as like being so rigid. And so I'm like, no, man, I'm super cool. I, you know, I, I you know he's like, no, you're not. And I was like, Right. Oh man, I need to, I need to shift this shit. <laughs> right. It's, it's some scary shit when you look in a mirror and people are holding up a mirror and you're like, oh my God, I'm hideous. <laughs> right. It's true. It's true. And so I think it's really understanding what teams need and a lot yeah. of times what teams really need today in a post, in a during, I'd say during pandemic kind of feel is they need to feel connected they need to feel safe. They need to be feel seen and that they have a large net under them. Mm-hmm. And if we really say, go out and experiment and take a risk, there needs to be proof from leadership that, that they got your back. Oh, uh, that is so true. Because I mean, I've always looked at the, the heart of innovation is the absence of fear that, you know, they, the two can't simultaneously like, um, uh, occupy the same space you can't like be afraid that you're going to fail and do something different um so i mean i love that you you brought that out now walk me through like you know i'm bringing you in to like you know help my team get past some of this crap i mean so like you know what are you going to do with us to like help us you know move to the next stage where we can be in that place that you just described yeah. So first we have to be real honest about where everybody's at and just understand the temperature in the room. And we got to mm-hmm. read the room and we got to read it honestly and be willing to have the conversations. And if your team can't even have the conversations, well, that's a big red flag. So it's, it's 
yeah i mean hello (laughs) i love the the managers that like i love the managers that are so deluded they're like well my team has never complained and i'm like gee i wonder why (laughs) (laughs) the last person that did got fired exactly it's like where's the bodies where did you bury those and so yeah we we typically will do an assessment we'll do an assessment and then we'll also we'll figure out where everybody's at and how to make sure everybody feels included and heard and seen and has some net um we will talk about goals and we have to be explicit because the worst worst thing and i'll say it a million times before i die i swear to god chip i will turn this innovation car around kids but we have to have the conversation about what true innovation looks like so people right. know what's yeah. okay. And so a lot of times it can be as simple as, well, we've never heard it like that. We don't know what we can do. We just know that we have to get 20, you know, 30 million signatures of authority before we can go take a risk on social media or before we can go try something. So we try to get the remove the friction. We try to figure uh-huh. out where the friction's at, where we can remove it. Let's have honest conversations where everybody feels safe. And then we make sure that whatever operating rules that they've had as a team get replaced with or augmented with. I'm not here to try to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. But what I want to do is augment it so that there's some safety and that people can speak up Mm -hmm. when when there's something not right. Because when I was going through business school and when I was coming up in tech, and thank God I was doing comedy, you know, seven nights a week. But because I was coming up in tech... And I was of the, uh, the way that I was kind of, you know, forged into management chip was, Hey, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Right. And you're like, well, but I don't even have a 360 bird's eye view of what the problem is. So right. how could I, how I do it? and I think we made a whole generation of people feel like they could never speak up. Right. Yeah, so, and, and that's so what, like one of the key assumptions that leaders, you know, uh, make. They assume that people know what they know. You know, like the, well, they, you know, certainly they know this because you know they're here every day, just like I'm here every day. But they don't realize that, like you said, they have a much more holistic view of how things are, and people don't know what you know unless you let them know. That you know, that's a key insight that you just brought up right there. That is awesome. They don't know. Yep. It, they don't know. And so we have, we have those realistic conversations and then we figure out where they want to be. We figure out how to take the gap between where they're at and where they want to be and close mm-hmm. that gap as best we can. And that's really the first starting point for me. And every team's a little bit different, but I'm noticing the pattern in this pandemic is everybody's dealing with ambiguity mm-hmm. and you cannot ignore the feelings and the energy of the humans in the room. And, you know, all the more, I think companies were able to dismiss that and make it work um, badly. And I think even in Zoom calls, there has to be the the acknowledgement for some part of the work you do where you stop the agenda and you go, hey, how's everybody doing? No real talk. You feel yeah. like shit today? Yeah, it's a pretty shitty situation, this whole crap we're dealing with. And you address the, the elephant in the room and make it safe for people to speak up. Right. Without that safety, ain't no good shit gonna happen. Absolutely. And that's the realness that I think teams need. And that's where I like to start. Like if, if you're not willing to be real, like you do not want to hire me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that because, you know, it shows that, you know, that, that uh, authentic, authenticity, um, you know, shows your humanness as a leader. And then it gives people permit, you know, yeah. kind of permission to speak up when they need to speak up. I mean, I, I, sometimes we get like, you know, the, we get transparency mixed up with authenticity and people are like using them, you know, 
as the same words, but they're completely different. So I want to make sure I'm clear on that. I mean, I like the authenticity part. I'm not a firm believer in complete transparency. I am not, but authenticity, I am. Um, so once you get to that point, do you run, do you run people through like some improv stuff? So they get used to like the process of, you know, going back and forth and yes, and in, I mean, what does that look like? Cause I know that some people would be like, what's going on here. This does not compute. <laughs> it's so true. It's so, so true. And I love that you asked that question. It's a brilliant question because it's so true. Look, People aren't used to an environment where they can yes and, and that yes and doesn't mean that we have to go do the thing. It means all ideas are valid. We're exploring, we're experimenting. Mm -hmm. This is a safe space to wonder, to say what if, and to innovate. And we're going to get all ideas out on the table before you over there in the corner uh, decide to self-appoint, you know, uh, as devil's advocate. Shut up. You know, because it's always the one person who thinks it's their job. And it's like, who appointed you sheriff? Who appointed you sheriff of all ideas? No. Um, But it's really important. So what we do is we, I'll take them through a series of like applied exercises in improv Mm. where it's not just yes anding, but it's also like, you know, let's, let's do storytelling. Let's try ideas. Let's come up with mashups. Let's take the craziest idea you've heard and marry it with something else and create something new in the world and look for those elements of possibility. Let's heighten an idea, what I call idea, you know, uh, uh, heightening, and let's take it to a crazy place like we do uh-huh. in comedy. And then once we end up on the moon, let's see what in that idea could be viable. That, the, energy in that ro- that ener- the energy in that room must be like when you they finally get yes. it and they start doing it must be like you know just like i know for me if i was like in that kind of environment I'd be like yeah this is all it, it must be amazing to be you know when people finally get it and they start doing it the energy just must be explosive it is and it isn't and i'll tell you why <laughs> <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, so real talk real, hashtag real talk um it, it is true when they get it you're 100 right they get there Mm-hmm. They're a little skeptical sometimes at first, not all, but they are, and you can't fault them. For most corporations, most teams, they have been weeded to take the safe and easy route. Right. They are rewarded for not taking risks. So for all the talk we do about innovation, I can unequivocally say we suck because leaders keep talking about innovation. But if you really think about who is rewarded, we reward people for not, but not you know, rocking the status quo too much yeah. for uh, hitting their numbers mm-hmm. um, for not being the the rebel innovators mm-hmm. uh, that that shakes the body politic inside companies, and so the reward systems are set up to reward people who don't innovate, and that's the dichotomy. So what's interesting is that there is a lot of people who are who are thrilled and excited, but they're scared because the trust has been so badly shattered, and so what they have to do is restore trust. They have to know it's safe. And when you can start to build that, hey, this is a safe space. There's no, look, there are crappy ideas, but for the next two hours, none of your ideas are crappy. And Bob and Nancy, you are not the devil's advocate. Shut up, go in the corner. That's awesome. <laughs> and now, so- I think that, that there was yeah. a, like a mic drop moment for me that I just have to like bring out a little bit. That whole fact that yeah, yeah, yeah. we have so much like um, socialized everybody just to go with the status quo and that we've rewarded them yes. for doing so. And that, um, you know, for being the poster boy or girl for the company and not, you know, being the rebel. I mean, that is something that, you know, 
I think that for, you know, anybody listening that is in a supervisory or leadership position has to think about, all right, you know, certainly, you know, if you're um, ignoring bad behavior makes it acceptable behavior. All right. So there's some things that go against, you know, company norms that you can't do, but other things um, that, you know, they're outside the status quo that might move people forward, you know, you know, looking to reward that is a completely different dynamic and something that, you know, that you just brought out for me that I never really thought about before. So I just want to one, bring it out and two say, thank you, Kathy. Oh, you're welcome, Chip. Oh my gosh. No, no, it's I it's so it's such an important thing to understand because when mm-hmm. we understand where people are coming from and how they've been socialized and rewarded, mm-hmm. we have to recognize that it's not that people are innovative, it's that the reward structures in most corporations do not tip towards innovation. They just don't. So, right. so we have to deal with that. Once what ends up happening, though, Chip, is when they realize, no, it's for real. This is a safe space. And I tease and I, you know, but I really uphold that. And I take that very seriously that when I'm working with a team, you are safe here. You don't have to agree with everything. But for this time period right now, I need you to check that devil's advocacy because there's a time and place for that. But right now, people need to feel safe. We're earning trust. And when you see people who are quiet, start to feel included mm-hmm. and that they're seen and their ideas are being heard and not shot down mm-hmm. the, for the first time I've had, you know, you know, you know, I've had people come to me later and say for the first time, and I can't remember, I felt my ideas were listened to and that's sad. It's tragic, but it's also a beautiful thing that when you yeah. can actually create that space, my God, the ideas that people are willing to give, I teams are brilliant, Chip teams have great ideas. But here's the interesting thing. If you look at recent studies from SHRM, Society for Human Resources Management, they will tell you that over 60% of employees have admitted holding back on their best ideas. And they hold back because they don't trust management. And that is the tragedy. That is the innovation tragedy right there. Right. And I've, you know, from my own experience, I've been there. Like where like I've thrown ideas yeah. out there and one, either they, you know, people have uh, shit all over them or they're just like, Hey, yep. this is now my idea. So like, <laughs> it's like a double-edged sword. It's like, you know, what are you going to do? It's like, Hey, I know this is going to work, but um, I'm either going to like get like pushed down or somebody's going to take it for their own. Um, so that's, uh, and I love that you brought out on uh, those people that, um, they say that it's the first time they've ever felt like they were heard that it's that the duality of being that it's so sad in so many respects because yeah. you know in life i mean that's we all just want to you know like we all just want to keep we all want to be human we want people to keep it human right yeah. um and that it should be like that that kind of environment but um it's beautiful in the fact that they finally get to do that you know sad but also yes. beautiful i that was um very poetic the way you put that you it's like it's um it, it, it is so true i think it is really both the double-edged sword of, of what i do and in if we can move that needle a little a little bit because i really think that you know the real human imperative at work is that everybody's ideas you know matter they're not all equal and that's okay that's not the point the point is right. we want to reward people for generating great ideas and being innovative we've got to make it safe and a place where people can be heard and if you want to unlock all that delicious you know human capital my god then you've got to do better leadership and that's really 
the message. And today, especially because in this pandemic, people are people are scared, they are anxious, they are worried. And you try getting the best out of people when you haven't made it safe or comfortable or said, I get it. I mm -hmm. know, I know how you feel. I understand. And if you don't have empathy, when people are are afraid, they are not playful, they are not innovative. Um, that part of the brain shuts down. So I yeah. think what leaders have to do in the times that we're in is we have to go the extra mile to say, hey, team, I don't have an agenda today. I just want to check in and say, are you okay? And if you're not okay, it's okay. And you can say that and I'm here for you and show up, fully show up with no agenda. And I know that like blows all the like metrics and ROIs and YOIs. What? And no EIA. agenda? What the hell am I no here agenda? for? Exactly, because leaders are like, what? I don't have a KPI against that meeting? No, numbnuts, you ain't got a KPI against that meeting. Just show up and be human. And, awesome. and those are the things that are going to make people feel, feel, feel safer, right? Yeah. yeah, and that's a great segue in looking at, uh, you know, you mentioned a couple of things that leaders can do as far as creating the environment. But I want to go back a little bit as far as looking at... Uh, uh, the humor playful, uh, thing. Cause I think that's something that's really, really missing from, um, any leadership class that I've ever taken or, um, a, that they never cover that. You know, how do you, how do you make things lighter? How do you add a little bit of play to, you know, people's work? I mean, I, for some of us, it comes a little more naturally. It did for me as a leader. So, um, but for other people that, um, might not be as, I would say, um, don't have more of a, I don't give a shit attitude like me. <laughs> so, yeah. How do they do? How do they, how do they, cause I don't, I, people want to think right. I'm stupid. I don't really care. You know, I've always maintained that I had to work, yeah. I had to work harder as a leader to be, uh, and as, you know, as a, a person in the workforce to be taken seriously, because I had a sense of humor that, um, than other people who get just, that. that were not as smart, but, um, they, like you said before, they, uh, they were rewarded for just being the poster boy or girl for the company. So, um, oh, yeah. how, how do yeah. you, how, no, do the, how do, how do people do that? Well, and I get that. I still get that because like, like, you know, look, I'm five, three, I'm not a big person. I'm blonde. I came out of Stanford and second city, right? I'm funny. And they were like, what a woman being funny, blue head explode. And like, <laughs> I get exactly what you're saying. I didn't fit the, I didn't fit the, you know, the uh, leadership poster on the wall, because I didn't look like that. So I totally get that, what you're saying, and I so hear you. I think the issue is, is really about, comes down to this. I think we have to recognize that humor is, has an interplay and a um, sort of a virtual, virtuous cycle uh, with trust. Mm. So a couple things happen is that we have to have humor to have trust, but we also have to have more trust and build trust to make people feel, feel playful and willing to drop the, the armor and be their playful selves. So oh. one of the things that I can tell you is that when I walk into an organization and there is no laughter, I'm telling you, and I've had this conversation with leaders that'll be like, we have, well, we have a, a, a you know, a laughter issue. And, we, and I'm like, no, no, you ain't got a laughter issue. You, you got a trust issue, people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if there's no laughter and I can walk into an organization and everybody's like heads down like drones, like they have assimilated, they are the Borg. It's because you've not made it safe to drop that guard right. and be themselves. And so 
we have to do both. We have to make sure humor is safe, positive humor that that is inclusive is safe. Mm. And we also have to prove trust. You got to make some deposits in the bank of trust. Right. And if you go, all right, everybody, we're going to have a picnic. It's 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 um, mandatory fun time. Let's all put the FU in fun. And we're HR and we're going to make it all. It's on your calendar. You know? And everyone's like, you don't give a shit the rest of the, you know, four days a week. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to have mandatory fun time. And that's unfortunately how too many companies operate. Right. And it's, it's, if we can build that trust, right. Then people will feel safe to drop those facades and those masks and to be credibly themselves because you are modeling it for them. So leaders got to do better. And I mean, that's just a fact. It is. I might, and I might just, I might just, I just might title this episode. Let's put the F you in fun because that is like the fun. That is hilarious. Woo. I have a, okay. So I have, I did that in an HR um, talk like 10 years ago and I have a title. I have a talk title that mm -hmm. um, just full disclosure. I have a, a talk title of that. And I, I, the HR managers, I wasn't sure how they were going to like it, but they held, I thought it could go one way or the other, but they right. appreciated that. They did. <laughs> that is awesome. I was like, uh, we're going to put the FU. Uh, that was great. That was absolutely great. Woo. Yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah. I like that, that it's, you know, right. not everything's going to, you know, hit all the time. But I think I, I, from what I hear you saying, uh, a part of it is just, you know, if you want your people to step outside and do something different, that it really starts with you as leader to step outside and do something different and kind of model that. Um, be willing to make a mistake, be willing to laugh at yourself, you know, you know, all those things yep. that, you know, we kind of push to the side when we get put in a role, but things that are so, so important when we're trying to get people to um, uh, move us forward. Cause I mean, that's what it's about. You know, it's not about me as leader. It's about us as a team. So I love that you brought that out. Um, so <clears throat> a couple of links before we look to wrap up, you know, first, because um you know, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here as far as like uh, you sharing your favorite, your favorite bits on, on stage. So I'm going to throw that out there. If you want to, you can say no, you can say no, but that's, you know, but it's like, you know, your favorite, like, you know, um, story you like to tell on stage. Cause I, I would love to, um, to hear you and you and uh, your glory. Yeah. For me and my glory. So I'd say one of my signature so one of my signature uh, uh, stories uh, that I do, and you know, you can see it online if you do it. It's a, it's really, it's a story. Um, you know, I, I can, you know, I can tell here if if you, you want me to tell the full story. I do. I absolutely, I absolutely do. So pretend I'm okay, like, so I, pretend one, I'm uh, pretend I'm fifty people in the audience right here. I am fifty people because we're gonna have more than right, fifty people, people listening. In the audience. Okay. So here's a signature story that is out there in a lot of my talks. Um, and it's a true story based on me working at a tech company. So years ago, I worked at a tech company, a tech company that was boy at its time. It was a Wall Street darling. I mean, it was a big 3D company in Silicon Valley and all the companies around that wanted 3D came knocking to this company. This company got a little big for its britches. Uh, it was doing so well, in fact, that Hollywood came calling. And yet, 80% of our revenues came not from Hollywood, but came from medical discovery and from CAD and CAM and different applications. 
And so at one point, what ended up happening was the client server revolution happened. And that meant that processing power is bigger, cheaper, and faster. You didn't have to buy a workstation. You could actually buy a PC, a regular PC for a lot less money and do some amazing graphics. Well, that's when things began to change at this company. And that's when, well, we started to misstep. So one day at the company headquarters in Mountain View, California, the then COO called an all hands. And you know what that meant? Everybody had to cram into the cafeteria. Everybody did. And we crammed in there, about 2,000 of us into the corporate cafeteria. Those of us that were actually on campus, the rest of the people that were around the world called in. And we waited for some words of wisdom because we, you know, morale was, was being hit and we were like, oh my God, we, this is it. He's going to call us together. He's going to spread his wisdom. He's going to make us feel better about the world. And this is exactly what we need for the innovation, like injection of enthusiasm. My God, let, he, let the man speak. So the then COO took the stage as we were packed in like sardines. And I, would, I remember just sitting there going, all right, wait for it. He's going to say some really good stuff here. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, there are penguins and there are elephants. You know, and, and elephants, well, they're, they're very royal animals and they're very loyal and they nurture each other. They're pack animals. They have each other's backs. When one of them gets sick, they will stop their migration and they will heal. They will heal that elephant and they will not continue their migration journey until that elephant is well. And if one of them dies, they will travel miles out of their way every year to pay homage to where one of their members, their tribal members passed. They're loyal. And then he said, ladies and gentlemen, there are penguins. And penguins, they live in the harshest environments of Antarctica. And when one of them gets sick, they will abandon that penguin. If it gets so sick that it pulls resources from the group, sometimes the pack will peck that penguin to death. And then I turned to my friend who was drinking coffee next to me and we couldn't, like we literally, he was sitting on my lap and I said, ooh, okay, here is where it gets good. He is gonna rally us all. And then he said, ladies and gentlemen, we are, ooh, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, penguins. And my friend did a spit take of his coffee that went all the way down my side and it went all over my white pants, which made that the second shittiest thing to happen to me in that moment. But in that moment, I knew innovation was dead. Innovation never came back. And that company years later, that was once a $2 billion valuation, which was big for Silicon Valley at the time, would end up being sold for mere parts for 25 million years later. Because once people knew they were disposable and that we had broken, broken that covenant with the employees and they didn't matter, innovation died. And that's the story. That is a great story. <laughs> I had a smile on my face through the entire time because you had like, you're a great storyteller. That was awesome. And oh, thank you. I love that is a true, that is a true, I, I, that is a true story. And 
that's, yes. that's what makes it so great. Yes. Real life, real life is hilarious. I mean, that's, you know, so like, you know, because most of the time, you know, we don't share those things. Oh, it wasn't really nothing. But once you find out, hey, <laughs> you mess up, we're going oh, to, we're going to peck you to death. I mean, <laughs> that is great. Oh, it's insane. And I couldn't believe he was saying that. And I remember in that moment going, oh my God, this is where he's going to tell us we're elephants and we're all loved and cared for. No, we were penguins. And I was like, ah, you know, it was like that covenant in that moment. I think he really, it, the, the culture changed and it yep. never went back and it recovered. And I think that's really, that's really, I think when, when an employees feel like they're penguins and not elephants, yep. that's the kiss of death. That's yep. the kiss of death. Yeah. That is great. Oh, yeah. That was a great mm -hmm. story. Thank you. Thank you for indulging me and sharing <laughs> that. I appreciate that. I know I put you on the spot and I apologize for doing that, but that was an improviser. Uh, it was it was worth it for me. And hope I know it was worth it for the people oh who are going to be listening as well. I have had so much oh fun talking God. to you, Kathy. I mean, it's been such a uh, an enlightening conversation for me. And I know it'll be for the people that are oh. listening as well. Um, if people want to connect with you after today, where do you want them to go? Sure, absolutely. You can find me on all the socials. Um, you can go to keepingithuman.com. That's my primary website. You can also find me uh, at LinkedIn at Kathy Clotes Guest, no hyphen. Um, and I'm on most of the socials at Kathy Clotes Guest. Um, awesome. Except I won't bore you with the story, Instagram, which is at Clotes Guest. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, we'll put it in the show notes so everybody can you know, find you on um, wherever you are. I just want to make sure that people, you know, can find you because I, you know, I know that you got, you know, books on your website. People get a full view of some of the work that you do, um, both, you know, uh, as an MC and the shows that you do and the workshops that you do. So I just want to make sure people know where they can find you because, I mean, like I said, you know, I've been in a leadership position for 30 years and you gave me some stuff to really think about today. And I appreciate that. Um, oh, now, my pleasure. Thank yeah. You so now, if we were, we were really at happy hour, just having a couple beers, me and you, I would give you some kind of drunk mm -hmm. dare after a few drinks, but it's because we're not. I'm just going to ask you a few random questions from my Overstuff <laughs> Would You Rather book. Are, are, you, are you game, Kathy? I am always game. All right. I always, yes. apologize, I always, I always apologize in advance because I never know where this book's going to open to because some of the questions are a little bit seedy. All right. Uh, let's see. Let me open up. All right. Kathy, first question. Would you rather pee out of your nose or poop out of your ear? Oh, poop out of my ear. I would too. <laughs> I would too. That's, I can turn my head to the side yeah. a lot easier than just kind of like leaning over and do that. All right. Good. Good answer. Right. All right. Right. Let me flip and just open. All right. Um, second question. Would you rather, Kathy, need medical attention because you actually got a large marble stuck up your nose or because you got your head stuck between the bars of a raw iron fence. Ooh, that's a tough one. I think I'd like to think that I would probably get my head stuck between the iron bars of a fence because I would be trying to get out and actually explore. Like I think that marble, like there's only limited possibilities where that marble can go and none of them are good. Right. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm probably, yeah, I'm the idiot that, that puts her head through the, through the iron bars. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm completely digging your logic train on that. Um, that's great. I, I'm glad that you went into depth yeah. on your answer. Cause it's always so much better when you have a little depth in the answer. Exactly. Because that doesn't make it stupid at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question, Kathy, would you, oh my God, this is horrible. I'm yeah. sorry. Would you rather have your nipple ring yanked out or 
have to lift, tw uh, lift 20 pounds with your nose ring? Oh, I feel like the ladder would rip it out anyway. So at least I wouldn't have to work out if you just yanked it out. So wow, you're I think really that's great because I'm just thinking about, I was thinking about when I read this, I was like, you know what? I think I could lift 20 pounds with my nose, but once that nipple gets ripped, mm, that's going to be long-term. <laughs> so I don't I, think, I, yeah, I hear you. I just think I'm really good at like lifting 20 pounds with my nose, right? Like, I think that would be, I don't think I could do that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, but you know, yeah, I'm going to say the nipple ring, but that just sounds out. Ouchy. Well, you are, you are yeah. uh, an incredibly brave, brave person. I like that. Um, which, because you're an improver, that's it right there. It's like, you're used to just right. like, Hey, let's do this. Let's just rip that shit out. We're good yeah. to go. Um, anyway, uh, I, like I said, I've really, uh, really enjoyed our conversation. It's been a lot of fun and really, uh, some great, uh, nuggets in there for, you know, me as a leader to think about. And, uh, I appreciate you spending some time with me today. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Really, I hope people look at their own humor as experimental and cut themselves some slack and their people and really embrace playfulness. And, you know, honestly, I think that's what we all need right now. So I hope, I hope that happens. I hope they do that. I do too. Thanks for listening to LaughBox. If you'd like to learn more about AATH, visit our website at www.aath.org or email the host at chip at unconventionalleader.com. And if you'd like to be particularly awesome, leave us a review on iTunes and or tell your friends about how awesome the podcast is, unless you didn't think it was awesome, and then just keep it your little secret. Or tell them it was awesome and then laugh to yourself about how you're going to be wasting an hour of their time while you're out doing something productive like handing out heads of cabbage at a Miley Cyrus concert. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, and may the farce be with you.